I now have the vision of where I want to go and how I want to get people there. And, yeah. you know, having a sales background, I've done Toastmasters, which teaches yeah. the art of public speaking. And I highly encourage people to explore for themselves because there's a lot of phenomenal tools to hone in on avoiding, for example, the filler words, um, er, and like, you know, and so forth, but also the nuances of speaking. So welcome to the Meaningful Jobs Podcast Season 2. I'm your host, Adrian, and today I'm extremely honoured to welcome Joseph Stetter, who is the CEO of the Celebrate Group, to talk a little bit about the meaning of life, the meaning of career, and how he set up you know, his business. How are you, Joe? Hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing great, and thank you again, Adrian, for having me. It's an honour and a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no problem, and likewise. Um, So, you know, before I you know, ask you a little bit about your entrepreneurial background. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, you know, started out, you know, after you graduate? So I'll start with, uh, I came, I came from being uh, raised as a Jewish, you know, you have to get a good job, get, yeah. you know, get into a career that the parents can be proud of. Right. Um, so I studied sciences in high school, finished high school, and I was like, I really don't like sciences. Um, and went to university and my advisor wasn't the wisest or most informed and was like, why don't you study economics? And I was like, okay. Um, and then I started taking business courses in university and I was like, how come my advisor didn't say anything about business? Um, and so I was doing careers to please my parents and I ended up kind of along the path. I was never satisfied. I never had a passion for what I was doing. So I switched careers nine times and jobs over 18 times in trying to figure out what to do and what excites me. And, you know, having situations where uh, I've worked in finance and retail in um, private education in uh, operations uh, kind of thing uh, in sales. And, you know, in combination of because I wasn't passionate about it, Right. When I achieved a certain plateau, I got bored. So I either quit or got fired because I just didn't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, so as along the process there of switching careers and starting to do self-development courses, um, I kind of started putting things together and said, you know, why is nobody talking about this, for example, for job finding? Um, right. And so I was working uh, after finance in recruitment. And yeah. in the first year in recruitment, I billed for the company that I was working for $760,000 in revenue. Wow. My supervisor, who'd been there for 11 years, billed $140,000 for the year. <laughs> well, your supervisor. And my Christmas bonus, <laughs> right. And my Christmas bonus was cheese and crackers. Right. <laughs> and when I looked at the owner, I'm like, what is this? She was like, well, the cheese is from a very fancy grocery store called Pusateri's where you know the cow is massaged for a month <laughs> and I was like do I look like I'm 65 years old that I need cheese from a fancy frou-frou grocery store the the sad part was that the crackers were from the dollar store oh and no and I kind of looked at her and said I brought in three quarters of a million dollars for you mm. and it's five times 
person next to me kind of thing. Uh, and this is how you're rewarding me. This is my bonus. Mm. You know what? I don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own. And so that kind of led me to the path of recruitment and then expanding my services and, you know, life experiences to kind of shift and change directions a little bit. Yeah. Well, sounds like you left elegantly. Um, but I guess, you know, would you say blessing in disguise? Because, you know, you, you didn't have a boss who appreciated you, which led you to start your own thing. Uh, yeah, listen, at the end of the day, there is sometimes it's hard to see when you're going through the the chaos, yeah. the blessings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a level of appreciating, let's say, that having worked for another agency and understanding the processes and understanding the paperwork made my life easier because I knew what needed to be done first when right. I decided to open my business, for example. Um, so, you know, everything is an experience that you learn from. Mm Uh, and so, yeah, you know, uh, part of opening my business was, you know, the excitement of the flexibility in my first month in business as a recruiter, I generated $143,000 and then I took a five week vacation because I was like, oh, okay, I just made some good money. I I don't need to worry kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, but this is where hindsight, where when you're first starting as an entrepreneur, you kind of are attached to your business and you're very excited about every aspects of it. And mm-hmm. as you learn things about life, you kind of start going, you know what? Like, I don't love doing accounting. So let me pay a good accountant to do that. And I'm not a lawyer. So I got burned in my business. So now I have a lawyer that checks all the documents and makes yeah. sure everything is kind of on the up and up and where it needs to be. So, you know, it's part of the growing cycle and, and, you know, having mentors that have achieved a lot more than me and um, kind of guide me on, you know, avoid this because these are mistakes that I made on a large scale. So I can scale faster. Right, right. Yeah, you talked, you know, you you touched on a very good point about mentors. Um, I was just wondering, um, you know, when you changed nine times, um in uh, jobs you know when before starting out did you have a mentor and how did you kind of navigate that you know difficult period no i didn't have mentors i didn't understand what mentors were it was just more like i did finance and then i was like okay i don't like finance let's go into let's say sales and i was like okay i did sales and i got a certain point and i'm like okay what's next kind of thing and sorry can i just ask you know because you sweat you you were switching jobs really frequently like how did you convince your next employer to employ you when you were you know pretty jumpy between doing a lot of designations between kind of uh, doing my due diligence to make sense of what the kind of requirements are unfortunately um most job descriptions, especially in North America, yeah. are extremely generic. So if you put an engineering job, an accounting job, a law job, a marketing job, a sales job side by side, mm. almost I'd say 70% of the job description is exactly the same. So once you learn to sift from, you know, we need someone with excellent communication skills, who's hard work, dedicated, committed, which is all fluff, yeah. and you kind of read the specific lines of like for example in sales you need to know b2b or b2c i added those skill sets to my resume in terms of lingo and in terms of there so 
you know, like the difference between a project manager and let's say a director, they both do reporting, they both do scheduling, they both do budgeting, they yeah. both do forecasting. Yeah. But the words you use to describe it mm-hmm. is what makes the difference between project manager versus director, because director is more strategy, higher thinking versus um, project manager, which is I got to get this piece of the puzzle yeah. addressed or done. Um, and as you go up in life, there's less of the pure, I'm doing this exactly this way, yeah. and more of the, um, I now have the vision of where I want to go and how I want to get people there. And, right. you know, having a sales background, I've done Postmasters, which teaches yeah. the art of public speaking, and I highly encourage people to explore for themselves because there's a lot of phenomenal tools to hone in on avoiding, for example, the filler words, um, er, and like, you know, and so forth, but also the nuances of speaking that when you can do that and you can make presentations, the interview becomes easier. The process becomes easier because there's patterns, there's systems, there's psychology built into it. Right. So, you know, um, from the sounds of it, obviously you, you were a great, you know, interviewee, I guess that's why you got so many jobs. But was there, you know, a point where you be- you began to question yourself, like why couldn't I, you know, find a suitable job, you know, after so many attempts? Again, I don't know that it was a suitable job. I think between being young and immature, and between going, is this like you know, Steve Jobs once said, if you wake up and you don't feel like going to work, and you have that for too many days in a row it's time to change kind of thing. And so when I reached a certain plateau, it was like, okay, I've achieved this. Now what? Right. And again, and this is uh, in part what I do with my business now is a lot of times there isn't clear communications from a company as to the path that you can take uh, as, as a, like an employee, for example, and even though you might not get promoted right away, what the company will do to keep you engaged, keep you excited about working there. And there's a massive gap there where it's like, okay, you're good at this, but you're not acknowledging that, or you're not giving me more of that. So why would I be in a place where I'm doing a lot of stuff that I'm not the best at, or that I don't enjoy as much? And, um, Sadly, 80 to 90% of people in North America hate their job. And yeah. the number one reason they hate their job is because they don't trust or buy into the leadership. They don't believe the leadership because the leadership talks at them yeah. rather than connect with them. And right. I think that was part of how in my journey, you know, it was like, okay, I know how to do sales and I've got a track record for sales i've done this job and i very succeeded and then i did this to kind of go you know so for example uh i did a tony robbins walk of fire i don't know if you've right. ever had that experience it's an amazing experience oh, I uh, that but i have a we'll call it a blessing and a curse where i've always had the ability to process things very very quickly and right. sometimes i get what's about to happen sooner than the kind of process that you're going through. Yeah. So 
Tony Robbins, when he prepares you to walk on 30, 40 feet of burning coals, uh, he spends, you know, six to eight hours mentally preparing you to make sure that there is no fear when you do this exercise kind of thing. Right. And I think an hour into the exercise, it's like, okay, I get it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And you're seeing people bawling their eyes out like, oh, my God, because like the shackles of things that they, they're they experiencing. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go because I got what the exercise purpose is and yeah. how. Um, and so even in work, sometimes I was able to do things ahead of time because I was be able to kind of preempt where the work will go kind of thing. So right. as an example, uh, which also led me to this path, uh, I was working for an outplacement service company uh, mm -hmm. that no longer exists called Allen Associates. Right. And I became the top salesman out of uh, something like 70 sales reps in North America within right. six months. Right. But not only did I become the top salesman out of North America, but I had the highest success rate of people that were paying for the services from Allen Associates actually mm. finding jobs. Right. And when headquarters, which was in Florida, called me and said, why are your people finding jobs so quickly? Mm. I kind of said, to be honest, I'm using my manual, not yours. <laughs> uh, and they flew me down to Florida to rewrite the manual that's been used for 45 years. Right. Uh, but it was insights like that, that I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. And yeah. that was the aha moment kind of thing of uh, exploring this further. Right. Uh, it took kind of deviated from it because the company shut down. And then yeah. I came back to it later and I was like, wow, I really enjoy this. This is definitely my calling kind of thing. Right. So I guess, you know, it's a good time to ask you, you know, a bit more about your business. So I think you run two businesses. Correct. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about this. So uh, my main business is called the Celebrate Group. Right. And I am basically a corporate culturist. So I serve companies and entrepreneurs in five different pillars. The right. first is old school headhunting. So I don't use job boards. Uh, if you say to me, hey, uh, Joseph, I need uh, a software developer. I kind of go, what companies do you want them from? And I go bring them to you. So I find you people that are already working. Yeah top of their field, and I bring them directly to you. Uh, right. The second pillar of my business is uh, kind of corporate culture. So a lot of organizations will preach corporate culture mm -hmm. in a sense that, you know, oh, yeah, we we go out for drinks or we have a Halloween party. But, for example, none of the executives dress up at the Halloween party. So I have to go to the executive and say, listen, when you don't dress up for a Halloween party, it sends a message that you don't actually care about your people. And right. that's why there's a disconnect with your employees. Even if you have meetings all day, wear a mask from Dollarama, Dollar Tree, whatever, for 10 minutes, take some pictures, shake some hand, especially people that have invested into a costume kind of thing, and then take your mask off and go to your meeting. But those 10 minutes will be the difference between, I believe in you, I'm following you, I'm gonna be as productive as possible, or I'll do the bare minimum to earn my salary kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and within that, the the next pillar is to actually not only map out social uh, uh, corporate culture, but mm -hmm. also help execute it. So, uh, you know, 
from zero budget to Google budget and everything in between, you know, what can we do to engage our employees? What can we do to show them that we care about them? So right. something as simple as a social committee and then brainstorm ideas of what the social committee can do to make work more fun and make yeah. kind of a recognition of work-life balance. Uh, where I take it another level is I'm very well connected and networked. So I can bring specialists to you mm. to do something just for your employees. So for example, a very common paint night where people go to the typical franchise, they, they paint a tree or whatever. Yeah. I know world-renowned artists that can come and create an event just for your employees uh, yeah. in that respect. Uh, the next pillar is social responsibility. And again, uh, a lot of executives kind of sit in the ivory tower go, we'll feed the homeless or we'll donate money, uh, sponsor a, a baseball team or a hockey team and you know, get our PR, but especially millennials and younger generation, they want to feel like they've personally contributed uh, right. and made a difference. And right. so I help organizations not only through data understand what their employees care about, but also implement strategies uh, that, you know, if let's say there's an employee of the month and the company gives, let's say, $2,500 in the employee's name to a right. charity of their choice. So they feel like they've made an impact or they make a difference in something that matters to them personally. Um, and I have licensing uh, with uh, an organization that has created gaming of social responsibility. And I also have licenses with the four largest personality assessments right. uh, in America so that I can help companies understand how employees think, act, and behave. And as part of my services, I summarize everything to go, here's the key things that you need to know about these employees so that they're not leaving you every couple of years, for example. And then the final piece of the puzzle is outplacement. If a company, unfortunately, has hit hard times and needs to downsize, I can help the people that are losing their job get rehired quickly and efficiently, which for most companies is a good thing because they're not worried about lawsuits and, you right. know, people building up anger that they've lost their job kind of thing after years of service. Mm -hmm. uh, and that ties into my uh, second business, which is called Land Your Dream Job. And I basically created an online course uh, to help people get hired. I've had the honor and the pleasure of helping over 11,000 people uh, right. in a, get hired in their dream job in as little as two days. Right. Um, and what I do is I point out the mistakes that most people make um, when looking for a job. So for example, most people default to Indeed to look for a job. Yeah. Indeed is one of the worst places to look for a job okay. because one job posting on Indeed will get between 350 and 5,000 applicants. Right. And right. most employers look at the first hundred. So if you're 101 and you don't know the tricks. Well, you're out of luck then. You're out of luck. If you posted your resume, let's say in March mm. and uh, we're now in June, you're probably on page 7,000 of the database. So no one sees your resume, period. Yeah. Um, and that's where you have them all of. I've sent out hundreds or thousands of resumes. I don't know why right. it's not. Um, so there's tricks like, for example, uh, Indeed refreshes their database between 11.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 2.45 right. a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So depending on when you go to sleep or in your case with the UK time difference, yeah. you know, when you wake up, you go into your resume, press spacebar anywhere in your resume and save it. The moment that you press spacebar, mm -hmm. it's a change to the resume, which means it right. now becomes a new resume and it's more likely to get captured by the database. 
rather than, you know, you post it in March and never touch it again. Um, so I focus on here's what no one taught you. Mm-hmm. And here's why you're having a hard time getting interviews or getting hired in a position that you desire kind of thing. Right. I see. Well, I guess that's just one of the many tricks, you know, but I'm also very interested in, you know, um, when you told me that you don't really use job boards to help your candidates jobs. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you do, how you help people find jobs through connections that you have? So again, it's, so first of all, let's say uh, I'll start with the resume, right? right? So most people write the generic cookie cutter resume that's black and white that uses uh, what it has the following five major mistakes right. uh, or as I call them, the cardinal sins of resumes. Number mm-hmm. one, they use Times New Roman Arial or Calibri as a font. Those are the default fonts of Microsoft Word. So you look like everybody else. Right. Number two, they use the black circles or dots uh, the squares or the hyphens of their bullet points. Right. Number three, they have a section called skills or career history where they write, I have 10 years of experience and I'm hardworking, dedicated, committed, and a team player with excellent communication skills. In yeah. 20 years of uh, recruiting, I've met very few people that say, listen, I'm lazy. I'll show up late. None of my work will be any good. And I really hate people. Please hire me. Right. So it's redundant because also your definition of hardworking, Adrian, and my definition of hardworking can be very, very different. Right. So it's redundant to fill your resume with that. Uh, if you remember the movie Legally Blonde, when Reese Witherspoon, a.k.a. Elle Woods, applies yeah. to Harvard and then to the internship, she sends a pink scented resume. Right. And everyone looks and goes, it's pink and it's scented, but they remember it. Yeah. So I'm not saying you need a pink scented resume, but changing the headings color so that it breaks the black and white, changing right. the font, changing the bullet point. Um That's the first thing. And then the biggest mistake of all is that people say, I know how to do this or I have experience in this. Nobody cares. Mm -hmm. So as an example, Adrian, if you need to hire a receptionist Mm -hmm. and someone comes to you and says, I know how to answer the phone, I hope you look at them in shock and go, really? A receptionist that knows how to answer the phone? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Because unless they live in an igloo, a cave, or choose to practice the faith of Mennonite, most people on earth know how to press the green button and go, hello, how can I help you? Right. However, if a receptionist comes and says to you, I know how to answer 60 calls a day with 12 different lines. Mm-hmm. I can measure 60 calls a day with 12 different lines. I yeah. cannot measure. I know how to answer the phone. Yeah. If I use an example from my career, I can tell you, Adrian, I'm a phenomenal salesperson. I know how to do B2B, B2C, account management, lead generation. Uh, uh, you know, I've worked in retail, door-to-door sales, car sales, uh, private education and recruitment. I know how to do sales. I've given you a lot of lingo and a lot of jargon, but I haven't proven to you that I'm a good salesperson. Right. Now, if I give you a real example where I worked for a private college that before I came in, generated $530,000 in sales for the year. Mm-hmm. In one month, I generated $860,000 in revenue for them. Right. Right. You Usually they're, wow, that's a lot. And how did you do that? As long as I can explain the how, I've now proven to you that I know how to sell mm-hmm. rather than all the key terms that most people splatter on their resume. Right. Uh, so first thing is rewrite the resume so it's more attractive. So it catches attention. Second of all, it's how do you network correctly? Most people go to networking events just to collect cards. They yeah. don't understand there's a science with how do you network, 
what do you say, how do you follow up, even what you wear. So my favorite color is purple. If you look at all of my marketing material, there's yeah. purple everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, on social media, everything. When I show up to networking, I wear something purple. Why? Because even if you don't remember my name, if I send you a follow-up email and say, hey, Adrian, we met at this networking event, I'm the guy with the purple shirt. Yeah. You're going to remember the purple shirt even if you don't remember my name if you had 100 conversations. Right. And yeah. it's a starting point to trigger you to speak. So I teach you what to wear. I teach you what to say. I teach you kind of how to follow up because most people approach it from, a, oh, you're an executive. I need a job. Can I send you my resume? You yeah. haven't earned the right yet. So just lastly, before we run out of time, I just want to yeah. ask you, you know, how you find meaning in the work you do um, and, you know, any difficulties um, that you encounter as an entrepreneur. So the fact that I get to make a difference on a regular basis, on a large scale, both to organizations and helping them grow yeah. and to individuals to go, I never thought I would be hired for such an amazing position right. uh, is intrinsically rewarding to me. Right. And uh, my goal like is to that. help at least a million people land their dream job now. Right. Uh, that's the first part. In terms of difficulties, you have always clients that know better than you, the clients that don't want to be coached. You have, you know, let's say on the recruiting side, I just had, for example, a I needed a security architect for a bank. Right. I found somebody that was making $120,000 a year. Yeah. My client, which is a smaller bank, offered $180,000 a year plus a 25% bonus. With yeah. the condition that the individual comes to the office once a week. Okay, sounds like a fair deal. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, I'm not sure if a $60,000 raise is just... worth coming into the office once a week. Wow, wow. And, and I'm just like, again, That's we're not, not talking a $10,000 raise. We're talking $60,000. Yeah. That's half your salary to yeah. come into the office once a week. So I've had to deal with things like that. I've had to deal with clients that you know, are paying way below market and right. their, their logic is, well, they should just be thankful that I'm giving them a job. No, mm. that's not the market anymore. That like, you know, right. things have changed. And so you can't just be like, well, I'm offering $40,000 uh, less than market, take it or leave it. And, you know, right. have an attitude that, yeah. you know, I, I funny, like it's an engine, like I'm speaking about an engineering firm mm -hmm. and the owner is like 80 years old, very old school, very this. The interesting part is that the son works there because he, he's also an engineer. Okay. And the son's told me that they've lost over a million and a half dollars in business because they cannot handle the volume of work that they have. Wow. So like for me to go, you're offering $40,000 less than market. If you increase the salary by $15,000, I can get you great engineers that are willing to take the work right. so that you can get that million and a half dollars in revenue. Right. And the owner just simply refuses to listen to any, like, you know, no, I'm not giving a penny extra kind of thing. And so you're dealing with that, you know, so there's the, the dichotomy of both where you have candidates that are phenomenal and then last minute tell you that they have another offer, but, you know, four interviews into it, they didn't say anything about it yeah. uh, or they leverage the offer they got so that they can get, Right. more from their existing employer or whatever. So yeah, you're dealing with both sides of it. Uh, again, if we had a little bit more time, I could share some crazy stories of, you know, <laughs> please don't do this in an interview or. Uh, right. Oh, we should definitely do a follow-up episode. Um, but I you love know, that. 
Thanks so much, Joseph, for coming to you know our podcast and hope to see you again soon. Me too. Thank you very much for your time.